0: Welcome back to another week of the Perinatal Podcast. I am your host, Meg Duke, and I am so grateful, listener, that you are here today. It would be impossible for me to ever pick a favorite guest, a favorite episode, a favorite topic. Today's guest is absolutely no exception on the long list of amazing humans who have come and spent their time sharing their emotional labor, intellectual labor, their experiences, their encouragements. Um, so I wanted to introduce you all, but before I do, I wanted to give you obviously the caveat. If this is your first time listening, welcome, hi, um, if you've been here before, you've heard me say this as I work with a number of people in the various stages of sobriety. My husband actually sells wine and spirits for a living. So it's always an interesting conversation for us in the house. Um, How do we view our relationship with alcohol? How do we put that in front of our children who are two and four? What do we want to model for them? Um, yeah, so it's I just always like to put that little out, put that out there because um, those of you who do know are like, wait, doesn't Austin sell wine and spirits? Yes, he does. So no need for any more of my chatting here. Let's just jump straight into it. Sober mom advocate Celeste Yvonne is a writer and certified recovery coach with over twenty years of experience as a communications professional in a corporate America. Her essays on parenting, the mental load of motherhood, mommy wine culture, and sobriety resonates with mothers everywhere and has been featured in The Washington Post, Good Morning America, The Today Show, and Refinery29, among others. She's also a contributing writer to the Wall Street Journal and Publishers Weekly bestseller, So God Made a Mother. Over five years sober and a founding host of the Sober Mom Squad, Celeste advocates for mothers who struggle with addiction and mental health. She is a recipient of the Winfelt Inspire Award by the Dry Society Social Club, as well as a two-time winner of Red Tricycle's Spoke Challenge for Best Writing. She lives in Reno, Nevada with her husband and two children. Everyone, thank you again for tuning in to the Perinatal Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you to Celeste and her team for getting all of this together. What a lovely interview that we had. I'm so excited for you to dive in. Welcome back to the Perinatal Podcast. This episode of the Perinatal Podcast is supported by Needed, optimal nutrition for mamas before, during, and after pregnancy. My current favorites are stress support with adaptogenic and nervine botanicals selected and dosed to balance and uplift me, immune support because no matter the time of year, my children bring home all kinds of germs from school, and collagen protein, which helps support joints, pelvic floor tissue, skin elasticity, and hair and nail strength. Use code perinatal podcast for 20% off one time purchase orders or for the first three months of our one month subscription option. Your mental health is your dopest self, but you don't have to tend to it by yourself. Get a tribe, get inspired, and you'll get ahead. Get someone to talk to, don't keep it bottled in. You're beautifully human, you should remember this. So it's okay for you to feel emotions. At times, we all need to clear our heads. And when you do, just holler at Therapy by Meg. Oh, my goodness. What a pleasure it is to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here.
1: Thank you, Meg. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Yes, absolutely. So let's just jump right in. Let's. How did you decide to get into mental health? What led you down that road?
1: Oh, probably my own mental
0: health. Uh... I mean, it's not something
1: that I think I decisively said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start talking about, uh, the skeletons in my closet. Uh, but I did start, I started blogging about motherhood when I was pregnant with my second child. Uh Um, I, he was a rainbow baby and it just felt weird that I wasn't supposed to talk about it yet. Like it just seemed wrong that we encourage mothers or expectant mothers to not speak openly about being pregnant in the first trimester. It's like, well, why wouldn't we like, even if the baby didn't come to term, mothers would need support just as much as if not more, like, I don't, it it made no sense. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, So I started blogging about it then when I wasn't supposed to, you know, just kind of putting together my thoughts on this, this part of the journey, especially after coming after miscarriage and just how volatile it felt and scary and um, confusing, but exciting, you know, so many different feelings going on. And uh, from there, I just kind of kept going and what started as kind of motherhood blogging turned into motherhood, mental health blogging turn into sober blogging. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so the evolution are.
0: started there. It really, I would love to spend just a couple more minutes on this because I, we do have this. I mean, even the royal family don't make announcements until after 12 weeks. It's like a, an actual thing. And it was really interesting in my own fertility journey. We had started trying to get pregnant in like October. I found out in December that I was, we called everyone. We FaceTimed. I was the magical carrier of children. I was like, this is happening. So exciting. And then I had a pregnancy loss at eight weeks, seven or eight weeks. Um, It's been a while. So kind of let some of the the details drift, but the yeah. next time we found out I was pregnant, I wanted to tell people and my husband really didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly a personal choice as well. Um, but, I, but it was, a, it's a kind of a binary choice there. Either you tell people or you don't, and certainly you can tell some people and not everybody, but, but it's really interesting because people have that cautious optimism or just terror because it's happened again. And we ended up losing that pregnancy as well um around seven and eight weeks and so I've had this conversation with a lot of people saying right like you do whatever works for you and what makes sense for you and your partner and um but it really is this expectation or like oh no don't don't tell anybody don't talk about it so I'm glad to hear that you are also using your platform just to spread the word on that as well (laughs)
1: Well, it felt like, uh, who, who are we trying to take care of with this narrative? Like who, who are we trying to protect? Cause I didn't, it, it didn't feel like we were trying to protect the mother. The uh, mother needed the support. So are we trying to protect everybody else from a potential mother's pain? Like yeah. that's where I started to kind of dig a little bit deeper. Like who, why? Who is this a convenient social narrative for? And I kind of was a little angry about it because um, it it didn't sit right with me, and it still doesn't. And I hope that we can kind of change that narrative because um, I think we we need support uh, throughout a pregnancy, not just when we know it's viable.
0: Right. Uh, that that was my. Case, it wasn't an argument with my husband for our second pregnancy um, was I'm going to to grieve with people if this is a pregnancy loss. Why not give them the opportunity to celebrate with me in the beginning? Why not give them the opportunity to support me, us in this situation, especially given the fact that this was our second pregnancy after a law, our first pregnancy um, after loss second overall. And, um, I, I love what you, how you're describing that though. Like who, who are we protecting here? Who are we supporting? Whose feelings are we trying not to hurt? What? what? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It it feels a little more, uh a, a, a little darker if, if we dig into it too much, but, um, yeah, I do, um, I do think that there's some very, adverse mental health effects when we keep, um, infertility journeys or whatnot secretive, if you don't want them to be secretive, like if you're, if you're keeping it secretive or you're keeping a miscarriage, a secret, because that's what society expects us to be doing.
0: That's, that's a problem. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like figuring out how do we, give ourselves permission to take up space um and to fight against systems that are in place that don't serve us
1: and to grieve in public
0: yes and yeah.
1: to experience the not positive human emotions that many of us experience like uh, yeah. there's just so many things
0: yeah it's just interesting right because it feeds into the toxic positivity culture of everything's great everything's wonderful yeah. this is going to be and it's not everything is all the time and that's okay Right.
1: And it's normal. And it's, it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get then from starting the blog, wanting to start sharing what was going on to then creating the ultimate mom challenge?
1: Yeah, I uh, was writing for a while, uh, just about motherhood about my experience with motherhood. um, And I was even getting ready to publish a book about, uh, my motherhood journey
0: uh-huh.
1: and, uh, I had an agent, we were getting like with the proposal rolling. And in the middle of all that, uh, I kind of came to terms with my, my problematic drinking, uh, mm. that I needed to make a change. This was not healthy or sustainable. It really, uh, you know, I think I would consider myself a gray area drinker because, A lot of times I could control my drinking, but sometimes I couldn't.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: So it was very all over the place and it was not predictable. And that scared me as as a parent. I mean, more so because everything's on the line now. Uh, So I had this come to terms moment where I was like, I need to try this without alcohol. Uh, mm-hmm. and see if I, I didn't feel like I was the, being the mother I wanted to be. I wasn't showing up as the mother I always envisioned myself to be. And I knew like deep inside, I knew that alcohol was at the core of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really stifling me from being fully present in mm-hmm. the way I, I i had always wanted to be a mom, but here I was now at this place where I was just phoning it into five Mm o'clock. Like that's how it felt. Like even when I wasn't drinking or even on days I wasn't drinking, I was just always thinking about it and always wishing um, I could kind of blur those lines Mm -hmm. uh, or or numb out or um, have that reward that felt so deserved at the end of a hard day of parenting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when I finally quit it it really was kind of kicking and screaming because I just didn't know what life could look like without it or if I wanted to know and um so I quit with the understanding that I really had no choice uh this is just something I had to do but it genuinely felt like I was depriving myself of of something wonderful for the rest of my life so it felt like such an ugly thing. It felt like something shameful uh, and something that I would never want anybody to know about me. Uh, So I kept it very quiet and I kept it secretive for the first year.
0: Mm -hmm. And it
1: wasn't until I reached one year sober that I would, I realized like all the things I had been wanting for myself, for myself as a mom, for uh, the way I showed up in life and as a parent, were coming to me through my sobriety mm-hmm. uh, that this wasn't something to be ashamed of that, you know, sobriety is the opposite of deprivation. It is liberation. And mm-hmm. I wanted to be public about that. I wanted to be vocal about that because maybe my story would inspire somebody who was in the same place I was a year ago. Mm-hmm. So I wrote about it yeah. I wrote about it to my platform Uh, Having never mentioned it before, having never uh, touched the subject and uh, I got so much positive feedback and even my agent reached out to me uh, and said, we have to change your book. Like this is your first book. Uh, This is the story. And everything changed after that in terms of, I started putting together what a book proposal would look like around this. Uh, And I started writing more openly about my sober journey um, for my audience. uh, And it felt very liberating in that regard, too. And I got so many messages from people who were either exactly where I was with the gray area drinking or who was also sober or who felt just socially isolated because they weren't big drinkers and they felt like, they didn't fit in anywhere because mm-hmm. we live in such an alcohol infused society. So mm-hmm. it was fascinating. And it really was something I, I started to lean into more mm-hmm. um, as my uh, recovery journey went along.
0: Yeah, it's been, I've already, will have already announced that I always like to give a caveat when I talk to people about their sobriety on my show, because my husband sells wine and spirits for a living. And so <laughs> that is an ongoing conversation that we do have. Um, our children see us open a nice bottle of wine at dinner sometimes, or if we're at a social gathering and we're having some high noons and, and recognizing what that is, like not making it feel other so that they are enticed to find, you know, sneak and find freedom or whatever, when they have the opportunity, but then also not encouraging, it in a way. And that honestly is just going to be an ongoing, I mean, our, my children are two and four. So we've got a little bit of time, but not even really because you know, they they know what a beer is. <laughs> sure. And so, um, and it's really interesting too, because what you were describing, absolutely. I mean, this isn't my therapy session, but we moved to Kansas city from Houston on uh, March of 2020 on St. Patrick's Day when we left. And so we moved here to a city. I had never been in Kansas at all let alone lived here. Didn't know a single person, had an eight month old baby, COVID quarantine had started. And so I was, and then I was a stay at home mom for four. And I remember it was like, all right, when's, when's beer o'clock? Like that's when, what all of our mom groups and, and, and not just moms, there were men too, but that really was the energy, especially to quarantine didn't know in any favors, right? But no um and I I don't know if that I obviously wasn't the birthplace of the mom wine culture but I really think that it took an uptick there and really became like you the post that you talked about like there's a sports bra with like the bags that you can like like a it's like a camelback but for a sports bra (laughs) and it's just like such a normalization of like mommy needs a drink like there's no bad time
1: yeah that that parenting is the only excuse we need to partake. Um, And that's, I mean, that is, so mommy wine culture has been around for a very long time and it's been an evolution of so many things, but think Mm -hmm. about, you know, Rolling Stones with um, Mommy's Little Helper. I mean, that was from, you know, the 60s, 70s. So this is really the evolution of a general message that, mothers need to sedate themselves to endure motherhood and parenting. And um, so while it's nothing new, uh, it really proliferated in the 2010s with social media exploding. Uh, It became a very easy way to kind of share this message that mommy needs wine, or my kids whine, so I whine. And, you know, when I talk about this, you know, and I, people say, well, you can, please don't judge me for drinking alcohol. Uh, you know, I want to be very clear. It's really not about someone who happens to be a mom who's drinking alcohol. The problem Mm -hmm. that I really have with the mommy wine culture narrative is that mothers and parents need to drink because of our children, Mm -hmm. that they're the reason we -hmm. need to drink. And that's really the crux of the problem to this message. Um, I mean, you could take that a million different directions, but that's where I kind of see the root of this. It's the, uh, our kids are our excuse to drink mm-hmm. and the, also the harmful message that, that intones on our kids, that they're the reason mm. we need to sedate ourselves. Yeah, uh, so that's, uh, you know, when I was kind of really digging into, cause I, you know, I've done it both ways. I have been a huge part of mommy wine culture. I used to share the memes, you know, I used to write the memes. Yeah, I've done it. I've done that side of it now on the other side of it as a sober mom, I really dug into where's the problem here. Uh, what, what, what gives me that icky feeling in my gut. And that's kind of the root of what what I discovered is just this under this cultural understanding that our kids are the reason are the that we need alcohol to cope with the challenges of raising Mm -hmm. these children and I say that as a daughter of an alcoholic I can't even imagine my father walking around with a t-shirt that said my kids are the reason I drink. I mean, to have that additional trauma on wow, what yeah. is already, you know, growing up in a family of addiction—that's Um, not—that's not, that's not the energy I certainly want to be uh, showcasing for my children, but for any children, really.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's that's exactly right. And I mean, I've actually thought about that before too. I think about the things that I say on my social media on obviously on my podcast. <laughs> um and I have again I worry about the day in the future that my kids get bored enough in life to want to look at what I'm doing. You know? <laughs> but but I do because I've said that before. I'm like I feel like I'm at my best place to deal with the stress of my children when I'm like one high noon in. <laughs> mm. And that's not and I'm aware of that when it comes out of my mouth and I'm like, gosh, that is depressing. And if they ever, and again, children, if you're listening in the very long future, I'm sorry, but um, Mm -hmm. I don't say that in front of them, but I have thought about that. Like, what if, how would a person internalize that? Like, I'm the reason she drinks. Uh, And it's not really, I don't think the mommy wine culture is about the children. I Well, this is where I'm going with this. So let me just make the better, more clear uh, segue. One of your posts was talking about like, Instead of needing to understand, like, mommy needs wine, like, why don't we look at why mommies are broken and overwhelmed and burnt out, that they feel the need to be sedated yeah. in the first place?
1: Yeah, and I, I that's really, because let's look at the stats, you know, before, even pre-pandemic, the mm-hmm. increase in women's drinking has... Uh, been growing exponentially, uh, especially in the past decade. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: we've got that already. We already knew about that pre-pandemic. Pandemic Pandemic hits, it goes up even higher.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, And we're seeing, you know, stats that are showing that the increase in women uh, between age 35 to 55 going to the ER for alcohol-related visits has skyrocketed. I mean, a lot of really alarming uh medical results that are coming from binge or high-risk drinking uh that are newer they're newer um trends mm-hmm. and to see that and my whole thing when I was writing this book was why you know what motherhood in the 50s was really freaking hard too so why is now Women grabbing their, their wine, clutching their wine and yeah. drink, drinking in this way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, almost drinking at the frustrations and problems. And, and what I found was, you know, there's a bunch of things happening, but systemically uh, we are in a place where, you know, the village, the village doesn't exist. Right. I think most mothers can argue there is no village, um, It's a uh, urban legend. There's no phone number to call. Like we are in this on our own. And I think there's a bunch of reasons for that, but we just don't have the socioeconomic support that maybe other countries have or that we used to have. Yes. Uh, More women are returning to work than ever before. Mm -hmm. So uh, being a homemaker, um, is not the most common place a mother is in in 2023 as opposed to where we were 50 years ago. So to take on the mental load of being a working mom in addition to what is going on at the home front has added pressure, responsibility, uh, challenges to mothers of today's age as opposed to maybe our parents' generation, or their gen- uh, the previous generations, mm-hmm. uh, and then when you look at the lack of um, equal or und- unequal distribution of labor on the home front, mm-hmm. there's still a very traditional idea that in a traditional home with a man and a woman, the woman's job is to take care of the household chores and the child care. Uh-huh. even if both people in the family are working. Uh-huh. And the, re- the recent, most recent stats I've seen show that in a home where both the husband and wife are working, the woman takes on twice the household tasks and twice the childcare. Mm. So the amount of leisure time available to women is extremely less so than that of men. And this is just a unique place and time uh, mm-hmm. where we are more women than not are returning to work and we just don't have the support systems in place to make this sustainable. and instead of reducing the load or redistributing the labor at home, it's almost pushed on ourselves and each other to just numb out. you know if it's not mommy wine culture, it's going to be cannabis mom in the next well maybe now, but uh, that's just going to grow. Uh, mm. Over the next five to ten years, you know, I would
0: bet money. Uh, because- I mean, Ohio just legalized uh, recreational marijuana two days ago at the time of recording, so it is literally growing. Yes,
1: and it's it's a hell of a lot easier to tell the the mothers in our society to just shut up and numb out than get vocal and speak out.
0: Mm. And that's where we are. That's where we're at. Oh my gosh! Wow. What? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And it really is. It really is. I just think about, it's interesting in a lot of my therapy clients where we talk about like where things come from and are these internal voices or external voices and how is this, it seems to be a core belief, but is it really my core belief or is it what it was told was mine? And not to quote the Barbie, which if you're watching on YouTube, I'm literally wearing Barbie pink right now, but like <laughs> the patriarchy and the the historical space and capitalism and all of the things that have driven us to the space where we are productive in these ways and meaningful and useful in these ways and yet we're not continuing to evolve we're still doing those things and all these and it's not an even like the lack of equity in pay and i i also have this conversation with clients who are stay-at-home parents where it's like well yeah from eight to five my job is stay-at-home parent but from five to eight we're a couple and there's a lot of disconnect there. Mm-hmm. A lot of working partners who have a stay-at-home partner are kind of like, oh, what are you making for dinner? What are you making them for dinner? Or what you know, everything, everything falls on them. And it's like, that's not a 24-hour job. It's eight to five and five to eight, or insert time here. And that's a really hard thing for a lot of people to conceptualize. It's
1: a newer uh conversation. It's not something that my parents' generation ever talked about. Mm. Um, it, it, it. We're in a place now where talking about, um, you know, equal distribution of labor at home, or parents who work outside of the home versus in the home, and how a parent is never off duty, never. Mm. Mm. Uh, so why is somebody who's getting paid a salary, why do they get to put their feet up when they get back home, but the person who's working from home doing Mm -hmm. all the unpaid labor why is their Mm -hmm. time less valuable Mm -hmm. and why are they therefore determined that they don't get a break they don't get to put their feet up right Uh, they have a 24 7 job that's where we have to kind of have these newer conversations about um labor at home the mental load um Reassumption of roles and reevaluating responsibilities because uh, the mental load of motherhood has put us put more mothers in place than we've ever seen before, who are drinking or drugging to numb out at a very impossible situation, and it's not their freaking fault. Like, yeah. um, like if anybody's listening to this, who's like, yeah, I'm there, but what 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 do you expect? It's like. That's just it. Like
0: it's an impossible
1: position. Yes.
0: Yes. And I, I am just, I was, I was excited anyway, cause I love cherish and adore you, but I really was excited to have this conversation because I recognize some of these own patterns myself, which obviously is a conversation for me and my therapist, but, um, but the village conversation, right? Like we are just now starting to make some pretty solid friends here in Kansas city. My family live eight hours away. My husband's live in Florida. Um, And so there never is that opportunity of just like, can you come and watch the kids and dad and I are going to go have a dinner or, and we're very lucky. We have the best babysitter in the world. Hi, Mackenzie. But (laughs) so we have those opportunities, but like we don't do multi-generational living anymore in the United States for the most part, whereas like, your sister and brother and grandma and your parents and we're all in the same house or in the same area and so the village did literally exist and now we're so isolated and spread and figure it out and yet we continue to preach the village and we're the rest of us are like the perinatal podcast is supported by Mom and Da makers of exceedingly comfortable and stylish pumping nursing and maternity bras Specially designed clips and straps allow for easy access to feed your little one. The design is specified to support the extra weight and increased size of your chest as milk starts to build, and the beautiful fabrics and colors are created to help you feel sexy and current. Go to momenda underscore bras on Instagram, us.momanda.cc for my listeners in the States, and shop.maminda.cc for my international listeners. Use code PERINATAL for 10% off your entire order of $40 or more. The Perinatal Podcast is supported by Muse. Muse is a brain-sensing headband that uses real-time biofeedback, much like a heart rate monitor senses your heartbeat. It then uses this information to train your mind to meditate better, be more focused, and have more restful sleep by translating your brain activity into the guided sounds of weather. When your mind is calm and settled, you hear peaceful weather. Busy mind? You hear stormy weather to cue you back to focus. Afterward, I can see post-session reports in the app and get feedback on how in the zone I was during my meditation. Now I can see myself improve over time, which encourages me to continue meditating. Muse is backed by research from Yale, Harvard, MIT, and NASA. Muse S is one of my favorite tech pieces to use in calming my mind. This means I'm able to have better focus, stay more present in the moment, and be more engaged with life without feeling overwhelmed if you're interested in trying it for yourself you can get my 20 percent off discount at choosemuse.com slash amplify wellness or use promo code amplify wellness at checkout great sign me up where
1: <clears throat> yeah what do i do? how do i how do i enroll but um the other thing that i think also just bites our butt every time and i think this is pretty american specific but maybe not, uh, is this concept of individualism, the the mommy who can do it all, uh, and make it look easy and asking for help is a sign of weakness. Yes. And I, I know this, this bit me in the ass so much before I quit drinking, because it felt to me like even asking my partner to step in more and to be, um, more involved in the, Mm -hmm. in the parenting felt like I was just sucking as a mom yeah. and that, that mindset, that mentality is so um, it'll just eat you alive. It has, yes. it's eaten me alive. And yes. I would, I would absolutely drink at that feeling, the the yes. feeling that I am drowning. But if I tell anybody I'm drowning,
0: I am a bad mom. Right. So let me just numb out over here and figure out how to deal with it. I literally have processed this again, coming back to those messages that are, they're external not for nothing and the goal the energy was good but like growing up in the 90s I was born in the 80s but like growing up in elementary school and junior high in the 90s it was very much like girls can do anything girl power da 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 and so then we like real a lot of us internalized that like AFAB women of like I need to do everything I need to do everything and it's like and I've I've really been processing with some people some of my clients like how do we dismantle this because asking for help is a sign of weakness you're doing it wrong You're failure and it's so not it's so not like how can we say ask like use your village that doesn't exist we've already established but like use the village and also you need to do it all yourself and we we glorify the moms doing it all like oh look at her she's a superhero and i'm like yeah but i don't want to be like yeah thank you thank you but i'll also maybe do something Right. I mean, it's,
1: it's meant as a compliment, but it's really a means of shutting people up because if somebody calls you a superhero, you can't go, I'm drown. I'm a drowning superhero.
0: Yes. 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 It's Uh, you're a superhero. Keep it the status quo.
1: Yes. Period. This. Yeah. End a conversation. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I, man, I wish I had the answers. It's so funny. I, I, I teach at the University of Kansas and I say this sometimes to my students. Like if I had the answer, Professor Mag, no answers, but I, I don't know what the answer is here. I think it does start with individual self-talk. I think it starts with having these conversations openly and normalizing the fact that we are doing, I don't want to say too much, but we're doing so much or too much, perhaps. Um, that's a very individualized conversation, whatever too much is for you, but we're doing too much and we're stressing too much and we're having all of these conversations and then... I'm obviously biased, but I think getting some sort of therapy or group coaching or something going on that where you can express this in a meaningful way, being able to create vulnerable and safe spaces with your partner to be able to express these things. And that's another thing that I talk about a lot of clients about, like, if you can't get vulnerable and be open with each other, we're not going to make a lot of progress because it can't all be a one sided thing. You can't just stop taking your kids to school or stop doing the dishwasher or you know, like right and that resentment does build and it
1: um can feed off you in other ways like for me I, I i fed into that resentment by by drinking uh but i know so many people do it in other ways too it could be compulsive shopping grabbing shopping, yeah. um or, or eat uh you know problematic eating i mean there's a lot of ways we can uh inadvertently harm ourselves uh, because we are trying to distract ourselves from conversations that need to be had, uh, resentments that are building. I mean, so many things that um, need to be um, taken care of at the the source.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I'm curious, kind of like, how does your sober mom squad kind of address that? What does that look like? How did it come together? What is where are y'all going? How do we support all of it?
1: Yeah. So the sober mom squad uh started uh in March of
0: 2020.
1: Hey. Uh, no surprise. How about uh, that? And you know, we we already talked about kind of why or how that came about uh, just because the pressure and the, like you said, the energy uh, was just alcohol will solve this or, you know, alcohol will get us through, mm-hmm. uh, you know, quarantines, all the things. Uh, so, yes. you know, Emily Lynn Paulson started Sober Mom Squad. I was one of the founding hosts and we just started doing meetings uh, every Wednesday for anybody who identified as a mom and was curious or currently sober uh, from alcohol. And we just started connecting. And uh, from that, it's just started to build and grow. To so now it's a full-blown community with three to six meetings a day, our own private app off Facebook, all the things. Uh, I still host um, there twice a week and I run the book club, And, um, it's become my community. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we talked a a little bit too, about the importance of community. I quit drinking without a community. So now having a community, I see how much I was missing in those early days and how much harder I made it on myself by not having that group of other moms that I could go to and say, I feel like I'm failing every day, you know, all the things that, that we say in our heads to ourselves all the time, but we can't say out loud because then we'll get judged or shamed. This became the group where I could say, you know, I was drinking too much. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I would wake up in the morning and check my phone and not remember sending text messages. I mean, all those deep, dark secrets that I felt um, so afraid of, um, revealing I had a safe place and now mothers have this safe place that we can tell each other this. And, and and it doesn't have to get shared, you know, to all our Facebook family and friends. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, I'm very public about my sobriety. I know many people are not right. And and I have people on my Facebook who DM me and they say, there's so many things you write that I want to comment or, uh, or, you know, say something about, but if I write it, will people in my network see it? And I'm like, yes, yes. Don't, don't share it unless you want aunt Martha to see it because that's how Facebook works. But if you have a private community um, or a support system that is, you know, in a vault and it's just, you can, you can share your, deepest, darkest secrets in a way that feels so liberating. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, I mean, they say the opposite of addiction is connection. And as somebody who has been in a sober community now for over three years, I could not agree with with it more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That I I've heard that a lot too. The opposite of addiction is connection, and it's true because again, I think that's the thing about a lot of parenting concerns. A lot of moms feeling alone, or this is just me, or like I've had a really rough week with my kids, and I've texted. I I do have a really loving, supportive group of friends that I can text and be like, I'm drowning, you all. So what are we? And yeah. and I I hate to hear that everyone else is going through it. It's not a like, oh, thank goodness. I I'm so happy you're miserable too. But it's very helpful to feel normalized. Like, oh, my kids are assholes too this week. Like, oh, okay. Well, (laughs) I guess maybe like the moon is pulling us or Saturn's in a different space or who knows. But to be able to be in a space where you feel normalized, you're drinking to numb, to cope is not a you problem. It's so much more than just that. And there are people who will support and validate and bolster you.
1: Yeah. And I think in addiction, it's really easy to feel like our problems are ours alone. And uh, one of the famous recovery saying is you are not unique, like nothing I was experiencing in those darker days of my drinking, or even in my early sobriety, nothing about it was unique, right? There are thousands of people going through the exact same thing. And when you can share what you're going through and have somebody say, I've been there or I'm there right now. Um, It, it empowers us Mm -hmm. to know that um, we're not alone and that we, we have a group of people who are rooting us on.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've even gone so far, you're a certified recovery coach. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I got my certification last year um, and I'm not, heavily practicing that but uh mm-hmm. I really did it because I wanted to add a recovery coach certification to my hosting uh to really feel like I could help women yeah. even more mm-hmm. in uh, our sober space than I was already and also to help with um what I was writing about um mm-hmm. it felt like right. having an education background behind a lot of the things i share about around yeah. my sobriety and addiction and gray area drinking um i can back it with kind of the the education component of somebody who um you know has has some background uh yeah. so so that that was the main uh reasons mm-hmm. i got that but um it mm-hmm. it also you know has just been a great part of reinforcing and re-encouraging kind of this idea of the science behind why we do what we do,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, which I have found so empowering in my own recovery is, Mm -hmm. you know, when you go beyond just the, why do I do this to the, what is, how is my brain working and how, how does alcohol change the chemicals in my brain or uh, what's going on in my body? Um, that has been really, uh, powerful information for me to, uh, maintain my sobriety.
0: Yeah. Well, that's very true. I mean, I, I think about that all the time. Honestly, I'm like, gosh, I wonder, cause you've here, oh, what well, I'm going to forget that nineties band singer just died from liver failure. Uh, oh my gosh. Oh,
1: smash mouth. mouth. Yeah. Smash mouth.
0: Yes. Oof, was not going to get there, but yeah. yeah um, and other people it, whether famous or not you hear who die the so exp- young. yeah so young the expression of they drank themselves to death which is you know um not the compassionate way to describe it but it is a very concerning thing and to what level and to what degree and everyone's body is so different certainly but the things that we do put into our body And when we're younger and then we start to get a little older and we start to recognize maybe that feel it more. Yeah. Maybe we're not as invincible as we once envisioned. (laughs) Well, I found, you know,
1: even just the anatomy of one night of maybe high risk drinking uh, and, and learning about what is going on in my brain and my body Mm. in 24 hours has been eye-opening. I mean, when you understand, you know, the dopamine goes up and then it dips and goes even below where it would be in a neutral zone. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
1: it has to work even harder to get back to homeostasis. I mean, for me, hearing kind of the science of how that's all working in my body and how it's all working against me Mm -hmm. as my body desperately tries to get the alcohol out of it, out of my system. And this is even just one or two drinks. This isn't uh, somebody getting sloshy drunk. Mm Uh, that's how our bodies process alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, I just found finding information like that was really, uh, convincing Mm -hmm. to, to help me recognize that I wasn't doing myself any favors, um, consuming the alcohol anyway. And, um, for for as long as I fooled myself into believing that this is even healthy in moderation mm-hmm. uh the science shows otherwise and and that has been a uh, really um an empowering way for me to maintain my sobriety
0: mm-hmm. I love the way that you articulated that had you painted such a beautiful visual of like Create you're creating a pattern, right? So you do get that dopamine jump, which feels great, but then you go underneath and then you have to work back up. And so then you're struggling so much that you're already struggling with all the other things, and your body is actually physically struggling to process. So then you drink some more to get that dopamine exactly hit, and then repeat, repeat, repeat
1: the cycle starts Absolutely. all over.
0: Absolutely, I mean, you would paint just such a verbal, like with your words, such a picture of like, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't it know if people are aware. I mean, I don't even know yeah. if people, everyone knows what dopamine is. Like, um, yes. but I, I don't think that people are really aware of how those things can impact you. And like you said, even on a one or two drink basis, not even a bender.
1: Well, and, you know, I was just talking, we we're just having this conversation in a sober meeting uh, earlier today, how uh, we go into our teenage years, if not our adult years, learning how to socialize with alcohol. So we don't even know what it means to mindfully drink, to drink and recognize this pattern that's happening in our body as it's happening. Cause normally we're doing it in front of other people and we're distracted. And there's a lot of, a lot of distractions happening. Uh, and it's all very discombobulating. So we, you know, societally how many of us even know, let alone feel comfortable experiencing social interactions without some form of alcohol involved. Right.
0: Well, are they just uh, in my world? Certainly. And again, I, we have, uh, we have a very uphill battle to cl- uh, climb hill to climb, whatever battle um, given my husband's job. But yeah, I, I really, I mean, last night we were at a wine dinner. Yeah.
1: But, I mean, it's everywhere. And and that's not totally to everywhere. say there's anything wrong with that, but it's worth it's worth considering, you know, it's worth reflecting on, um, what would, you know, for me as somebody who never went more than a pregnancy without abstaining from alcohol Mm -hmm. until I quit drinking, who am I when I'm not consuming alcohol Mm. all the time? Like what, what does Celeste even like to do? You know, I have found out in my sobriety that, um, there are things like being out in nature feels more transcendental than I ever realized mm. uh, because I feel like I can uh, almost absorb the energy mm. around me that mm. I ever knew was possible. I also learned that being at social gatherings that are chaotic or loud is very overstimulating and makes sure. me withdraw. These are all fascinating things that I've only learned in my sobriety sure. that i was never i never even stopped to think mm-hmm. like who would i be and what would i be like without alcohol mm-hmm. um and it, it's just so interesting to be you know in my mid 40s learning more about myself than I ever did in my 20s. Fascinating, right?
0: But it's it's so interesting. And I i really honestly think back to like, man, I was done when I was 23. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, we did the best we can with what we have, but what we had was not what we have at 38.
1: <laughs> you live and learn.
0: Yeah. But it is really interesting, too. This is a little bit of a tangent, but just mentioning, like, it's really interesting for me, especially my sensory, um, Boundaries are so greatly decreased since having had two children. Mm -hmm. I remember when I had my son, when he would breastfeed, I had to have my hair up. I couldn't, I couldn't have my hair touching me. Right. And so Mm. it wasn't as bad with my daughter the second time, but I always, I always had a scrunchie or a hair clip everywhere around the house. And so I did that for my daughter and I was like, oh, it's not as bad this time. But then there are other things too. Like the children are chitter chattering and the microwave is going and my husband pulls up a, a reel and I'm like, it's too much. I got
1: it. I got it. I can't. <laughs> I agree. Motherhood is extremely overstimulating. And yet another reason where I look at my drinking and I think, no wonder, no wonder, you know, it sets, it sets everything down about three notches and it feels like it makes everything a little bit more sustainable. Um, now, you know, without alcohol, I walk around regularly with noise canceling headphones and um I can still hear everything, but it yeah. just sets it down a few notches yes. because my kids are loud. Life is loud. Parenting yes. is extremely loud. And yes. um it it's okay to be like, This is too much. Like five people talking to me at once is too much.
0: Right. Right. And you know, it's interesting that you just mentioned that I have not a sponsor of this podcast, but if they'd like to reach out, go ahead. No. But I have those loop earplugs that I use for at night because my husband sometimes snores with another story for another day. But I've actually seen people that are like, oh, I walk around with those in and I can still hear. I'm not fully I'm not ignoring people, but it's that it's the it just brings it down to a level that doesn't feel so invasive. I might have a strong in that. <laughs>
1: I mean, those ads have shown up on my, uh, you know, on my my scroll more often than not, um, because you know, advertising is so smart. But sure, um, it makes. I mean, I think it's brilliant. I, I think you know that is catering to what I think a lot of the challenges we face as mothers, and to feel this need, you know, this is the other part of motherhood that kind of goes back to our initial conversation this need to always be available yes and to always be on you know and this pressure to just you you know no boundaries there's no space that is sacred you know every mother is always available for whatever anybody's needs are Mm -hmm. uh just leaves us at this place where we are drained we are desperate we are overstimulated and we just need uh we just need to numb out. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I was watching a reel yesterday and I am not going to remember this person's name. I'll think on it if I can, but, um, and he was playing both roles. So he's playing the husband and the wife and the husband's leaving like, Hey, I'm going to play golf. Um, and the wife's like, Oh, have so much fun. And, and, um, she's like, you know, Celeste take me to play golf tomorrow. Oh, I saw it. I saw have it. you seen that? It was the most yeah. genius thing I've ever seen in my life. I'll finish it up for those of you who are like, I have no idea. I think his name's Jimmy. Something. But in it was he was like, wait, but you don't golf. And she's like, Yeah, but you say it's so much fun. And he's like, Well, wouldn't it be some more convenient if you had a hobby that was in the house, like gardening at the home, I should say. Right. Again.
1: Where you're always available. Yeah.
0: And then, yes. And she literally says, like, oh, that's good. Cause then I could be available if anybody needs anything. Or I can make sure everything's cleaned up and da, 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 whatever. And she's like, let, let me think about that. No, I think the five hour break sounds good. And I was just like, yeah. But that is the reality, and not just necessarily about golf. Although it is the reality about golf and I love golf. I if I could play golf every Saturday, that's a vision. Maybe, maybe one day my kids will want to play golf and we can go every Saturday morning together. Hallelujah. I am not mad at people who play golf, but it's wild to me that an around at Pebble Beach has to be 435 and you are not playing that fast anywhere else and some people. So you're looking at a solid four to five hours and people feel so entitled to be able to take that. And that's golf, and then other things too, where it's just like, okay, I'm going to go over here, and then on the flip side of that, it's like, hey, did you want to go to the grocery store? And I'll watch the kids. What a little treat for you! And it's a like, little
1: break, yeah,
0: that's that's it. Was not a break. That's not a break. Yeah. Yes, and so again, I really do think like a go mommy wine culture accompanies no boundaries, always available yeah. mommy co- culture. Yeah which is, is continues to be spread. And they do go hand in hand.
1: It's that toxic idea of get your self-care while you fold the laundry.
0: Yes. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Correct. Yes. Um. Well, let's, let's chat. Let's jump into the book. What can you tell us? I'm so excited about it. I know you mentioned earlier that you were writing a different book, which is that still a possibility? I know you like just launched this one, but is that a possibility for the future for the other book or are we?
1: I doubt I it. Somebody told me the other day, like, you have to write that book. Uh I don't know. Oh, so gosh. much has changed. I don't know. I, I don't, we'll see. Okay. You know, I feel like every three months, like a different idea comes out of me. So who knows? Yeah. But but this book is really, I mean, it's so many of the topics we covered today, but how to navigate our biggest stressors as mothers without alcohol. Mm-hmm. uh and kind of how we fell into the alcohol trap i mean a lot of the things we covered uh and how to get uh, how to get out of it because mm-hmm. um we certainly get fed this message so often that alcohol will fix what ails us um but what are some real solutions that we can actually implement today mm-hmm. uh as well as the more long term solutions so we can set our children up especially our daughters um, to be in a better place where they're better supported Mm -hmm. um, and mothers don't bear the brunt of all the emotional and invisible labor that currently seems to fall right down onto our plates. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I talk about that a lot with people too. Um, Glennon Doyle calls it tickering, but it's like, I don't want, somebody to check the things off of my list. I want somebody who co-owns the list and creates it together. And we have for so long as mothers been the list owners, the list like we can perhaps pass out a couple of tasks, but we own it and everyone, else, well, what do you want from me? And it's like, no, we we need to be mutual stewards of the things that go on and being aware. And it doesn't need to fall on just the one person
1: yeah and and kind of throwing that that whole concept in the gutter that you know the mother inevitably is the person responsible for the child care the household labor the mental load the uh invisible work you know all these things that uh, have just seemingly fallen on our plates uh while we also try to go out there and break glass ceilings and uh you know do all the things uh, that we wanted to do uh, our, our whole lives uh, and, and not being able to navigate both at the same time because, because we're, you know, at the end of the day, um, we don't want to be necessarily superheroes. We just want to have human experiences.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. I, like, yes, I am resilient, but I'd like to not need to be resilient so often. Exactly. Yes. Well said. Oh. I just, I can't thank you enough. I've been looking forward to this for so long. I'm so excited about your book and um, the workbook and just getting to go into all of that. How can everybody find you? And it'll be in the show notes too, but I always like to have people say it.
1: Yeah, I'm on social media at the Ultimate Mom Challenge. I'm on Substack. Uh, I think it's under Celeste Yvonne or the Ultimate Mom Challenge. It's one or the other. Uh, And I post uh, weekly there uh, with sober support. Or, or you can find me at Sober Mom Squad. I lead a couple of meetings there a week.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, everyone out there, go get the book, check it out. And for the rest of the time, be curious, not judgmental. Goodbye. If spending time with the Perinatal Podcast is something you value and enjoy, it would mean so much if you could write a review of the show on your app. And don't forget to subscribe so you get a notification when new content is posted. Take a moment to leave a five-star rating, too. Fresh content is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content, and you tuning in to every episode is what helps keep us going. Follow me at Amplify Wellness with Meg on Instagram, and you can find more content by searching the hashtag, The Perinatal Podcast. Our show is executive produced by David Presley and produced by Meg Duke. Our theme song was written and performed by Antoine McDuffie.